My dad and I were together the other day, and he handed me a, a little piece of paper. Uh, he, he, dad says, wherever he goes, my dad's a Christian and retired Baptist minister. He, he, uh, wherever he has gone all of his life, he has this habit of giving people little gospel leaflets, little tracts, of testimonies of people, salvation, how to be saved. Everywhere he goes, he, and every day, everywhere, all the time, he gives these little tracks away. And he had this little piece of paper, and he goes, um, whenever I give a tract away, I don't want people to misunderstand, so I put this little piece of paper with it. Here, here's what it says on the little piece of paper. I thought it was kind of cute. Um, I am a retired Baptist minister. I want to see you in heaven. The enclosed materials will show you how you can be sure you will go to heaven when you die. I don't want your money. It's not some attempt to get you to go to church. In 1954, when I was in the Navy, a young buddy shared this with me. So now I'm sharing it with you. It's his testimony. I want you to imagine with me this morning an accomplished man, a powerful man, an angry man, a proud man, a wealthy man, a blasphemous man, a violent man, an irreverent man, a greedy man, mentally deranged man. I want you to imagine a man like that. Meet King Nebuchadnezzar. Now imagine that man being converted and writing a little testimony and a tract. That's what we have before us today in our text that Bill read part of, uh, Daniel, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 37. What we have in the first person is King Nebuchadnezzar and his story of conversion. And he starts out with a summary of it by saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. What? Is this the same guy that we were reading about in 1, 2, and 3? I will chop off your limbs and I will turn your house into a dunghill guy? Is it the same, I will throw you in a burning, fiery furnace heated seven times hotter than it's ever been heated before? Same guy? He opens his testimony like an apostle would open an epistle. <laughs> he says, to all people and all nations and all languages and all people, it sounds like the opening of the United Nations. Peace to all people on earth. This boy has had a change of heart. That's what he's saying. He seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that most high God, that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This guy has had something happen to him. What happened 
to King Nebuchadnezzar. The sermon title today is A King's Declaration of Dependence Upon God. And you have it in maybe five acts here. You have Nebuchadnezzar's intro, introduction and summary of his testimony, if you will, of what happened. He doesn't give a thorough and complete theology of salvation at all, but he's giving a testimony about what happened to him, and that's the introduction that you just heard in verses 1 through 3. And then you have another disturbing dream. If you've been tracking, and if you go back, you can listen to these or watch them, you, you know that this is not the first time that, ne that Nebuchadnezzar the king has had a bad dream. And, he, and who does he call when he has a bad dream, people? The Oh, come on, the dream team. I'm so impressed with my preaching, and you're not. What's wrong with you? Um, the dream team. So, like, he says, hey, come on in and interpret my dream. And do they, can the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and the astronomers and the fruitcakes, can they interpret his dream? No. You're, can you tell you're going to have to work with me this weekend? You're just like, you do the talking, I will listen. No, that's not how it works. You got to work with me. No, they, they never can help him. That's what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in the house, prospering. This is verse 4. Saw a dream that made me afraid. Lay, I, as I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So now he's scared of, again. So I made the decree that all the wise men of Babylon, enter dream team, uh, should be brought before me that they might make known the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, and they could not make it known to me its interpretation. Ah, but then in verse 8, what happens? This is number three. This is number three in the act. Enter Daniel. Remember Daniel, interpreter of dreams. He not only was given the ability by God to interpret the dream, he was given the dream. He, he was told the dream. So this impressed Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is back. Nebuchadnezzar has a Babylonian name for him, Belteshazzar. But his uh, Hebrew name is Daniel, uh, and, and it corresponds with the big idea of the message today. Um, at last, Daniel came in before me, this is, again, in the first person, Nebuchadnezzar says, he who is named Belteshazzar after the name of my God. And then here's how he describes him. I think this is, I've always thought this was kind of cool. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Got any teenage boys in your life? Would you accuse them of having the Holy Spirit in them? Do you know they can? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful to say, this one, of our young, this one of our finest young men here at Bethel Church, everybody knows he has the Spirit of God in him. If I was a young man, I'd want to be that guy. Daniel is described as, you know, Daniel, the one with the Spirit of the Holy Gods. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has this whole pneumatology, his doctrine of the Holy Spirit worked out, but he's on the right track here. Verse 9, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So this is um, Daniel describing the dream. The visions of my head as I lay there in the bed, I saw, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. This, he's describing the vision to Daniel. And its height was great. I'm a tree, I see a big tree in my dream, he says. 
The tree grew and became strong, and it reached the top of heaven. The top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. So this is a magnificent tree in his dream, he sees. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. It was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and, and all flesh was fed from it. And I, I saw the visions of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven and proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches and strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit and let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast of the gra- in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's mind. Let a beast mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. And the sentences by degree of the watchers and the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end. Big idea coming. <laughs> To the end that the living may know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. The most high rules in America today (laughs) and in Germany and in the nations of Africa and the nations of South America and in in the great land of India, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. He gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, I know you've come through for me before, and I can tell that you have God on you. I just had this really confusing dream. I'm a little nervous about what it could possibly mean. A big tree that's blessing everybody and it drops to the heavens and now it's cut down and then somebody's wandering. It's vague. Somebody's wandering around eating grass here. What does this mean? In verses 19 through 27, uh, Daniel interprets the dream. Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. This is verse 19. Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, may the dream for those who hate you and this interpretation for, be for those who hate you and, those, and for your enemies. Daniel isn't saying, Die, you wicked pagan king. He's saying, I'm sorry to give you bad news. I wish this was true of your enemies. 20. The tree I saw was you. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached heaven. It's visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant and which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and the the branches and birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king. You have grown and become strong and your greatness has grown and 
and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the, to the ends of the earth. And, and because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree, destroy it, leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king that you will be driven from among men and your dwelling will be with the beast of the field and you will eat grass like an ox and be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you. You're going down. That's what he's saying. Till you know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and he gives it to whom he will. One of the ways you can tell, emphasis in the Bible, is repetition. And, and this climax is repeated again. To the end, verse 17, that the living may know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. He gives it to whoever he will. He sets up over them the basis of men. Verse 25 repeats it. Till you know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men, he gives it to whoever he will. At the end, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his testimony tract, he's going to say, now I know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. And he sets over, over it the basis of men. Then there's this unusual, mysterious, interesting, pregnant idea. The stump remains. What's that? Verse 26, and as he commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, the kingdom will be confirmed for you from time that I know that heaven rules. As it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. And that you see, he's leaving a stump of hope for the king. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Why, 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 why in a Christian service would we carry on like we did today and sing patriotic songs? Is it because America is uniquely God's nation? The most high rules in the kingdoms of men? No, that's not why. It's because we have the good sense to say thank you for our nation. It's because we have the good sense to say, bless and help our nation. We are sinful people, and we have broken your law, but we love our, our nation as one of the nations that will be around the throne, people from around the throne. But one of the reasons is because America has been given the privilege, as uh, our sister mentioned in her prayer, Melanie, as you mentioned in your prayer, we've been given the privilege of religious freedom and Americans have taken the gospel around the world. At one time, it was the greatest missionary sending nation on earth. America has become one of the greatest mission fields on earth now. But still, when devout people gather, their patriotism doesn't rise above their worship of God. But good people are patriotic. They're grateful for the nation that God gave them. That's why we sing. And we hope for God's blessing to be returned by repentance and a return to God's law. So now you know why. Because we don't need to go out in the field and eat grass like an animal to be reminded that the Most High rules in all the kingdoms of men and He gives it to 
whoever he wishes and sets up over it the basis of, of men and women, if you will. There's a, there's a stump of hope and mercy for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel has said, you're going to be judged, like cut down like a tree, and you're going to have a mental illness, and you're going to be out in the, in the, in the uh, field like a beast. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a... He had a press conference out there, like, bragging on himself. <laughs> by my mighty power, probably, probably alone, I don't know. As royal residence for the glory of my majesty... I'm like, did you forget your bad dream? While the words were still in, my, in the king's mouth, this obviously must have been interpreted by Daniel here. This is no longer in the first person. There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You'll be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time will pass over you. Until when? Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, and He gives it to whoever He wills. This was an easy week for me because it wasn't hard to find a big idea in the text. <laughs> Even a dummy could have found it. The Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. Who rules in the kingdoms of men? The Most High, the God of Daniel. The God that Daniel was originally named after. Verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand. Listen, folks, you're, you're occupying a pew here for a few minutes, and I want to say to you, there is a God who sits in heaven, and all the beings, all the great beings of heaven worship him and know his worth and might and glory and honor. And all the wise people of earth do the same, or one day they will. But today, we're in the stump of the tree with the hope of mercy if we take it. Here was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, verse 36, at that time my reason returned to me let me read verse 35 again. I like it. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You don't tell God, why do you do that? You say to God, your will be done. Think about that. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol. I'm sorry, verse 36 up to... At the time, verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. That was a good day. And the glory of my kingdom. And my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. Still with more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is a good tract. This is a good testimony. Nebuchadnezzar says, I did accomplish a lot. 
At first, before he was driven out into a field like a beast, he said, look what I did. And after he came back, he said, look what I did, which I never could have done without God's help. Four timeless takeaways from Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Number one, even in a time of great evil, you can live a holy, exemplary life. Young man, young man, teenage young man, I know that you are beset with temptation. I was a teenage young man long ago. And I know how it feels to be wrestling against uh, temptations and different options. But remember, though you can't see him today, there is a God and all the beings of heaven worship him and all the beings on earth one day will worship him. But you can get in on that early and you can start following him right now. Then never be confused. You, as a young man, as a young woman, can have the evidence of the Spirit of God on you. You can be different in that way, different in a beautiful way, not different in an obnoxious, irritating way, not different in a pseudo-pious, yucky way, different in a what's going on with that guy way, different in a like, there's something about her, there's something about him. He plays football, but he plays football different than other people play football. He's like, knock you on your backside, help you up, be your friend guy. What's up with that? What is, this, what is this girl here that when I talk with her, she's deeper than other girls who just talk about little minor things. She, she talks, she, I like to talk to her. She, she listens to me. She understands me. There's something about her. Oh, the Spirit of the Holy God lives in her. What about that old person that all he ever talks about is himself and he never talks about anybody else? But then there's that other one that's going to tell me about you. Tell me your story. Went to the bank the other day, take care of my business. The lady says, you're Ken. I go, hey, thank you. I was kind of flattered. She remembered my name. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, you have plans for the weekend? I told her about going to leave for Camp Barakel this week, preach up there. And, and then I, I said, thanks. And then I turned around and walked away. And a little voice says, you didn't ask her what she was doing this weekend. Like a thoughtful, selfless person who said, so about, how about you? You know. And I said, I'm sorry, Lord. Next time, I'll be less selfish. What about a person that has learned not to be selfish and they're sweet and they, they're, they're, they're just, you can tell the spirit of God, like, wouldn't you want to be that person filled with the Holy Spirit? You say, I can't, the, 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 the world is too evil. Oh yeah, you, Daniel did it in Babylon. <laughs> Daniel did it in Babylon. You can do it in America. America needs Daniels right now. Young Daniels, good, good men, solid, strong, capable, faithful, godly, following Jesus. America needs Esthers, women, young women that will stand up and say, I will follow God. Uh, America needs couples like Francis Schaeffer and Edith Schaeffer, who when they got married, dedicated their marriage to God. And they said, we'll go anywhere in the world because we want to touch people for God. And then they gathered people would come and they would eat Edith's brownies and they would listen to, she was a good teacher too, they would listen to her teaching and Francis teaching and they would ski in the mountains and they would go around the world and their lives would be changed because a couple dedicated themselves to be a spirit-filled couple. That's the couple you want to be. There's a higher kind of living altogether available even in a dark and awful world like the one that we live in right now. Daniel and his friends were filled with the Spirit of God and everybody could tell it. And you can be filled 
with the Spirit of God even in a time of great evil. David Brainerd was such a young man. Single man, troubled with mental illness. Clinic, we would say clinical depression. He went out to people he knew didn't know God, Native Americans. And because of various things that had happened, that was a dangerous thing to do. Would they be afraid and would they take his life? It was not unlikely they would. But he felt he wanted to go tell the gospel of Jesus to these precious souls. So he went even when he was risking his life and he prayed. He got this Brainerd, you can read his journals, his diaries. He got down on his face and he prayed like he was a serious prayer. When he finally reached the Indians for the first time, he was ready to die. But they welcomed him. You know why? They told him later. They said, we knew everything you were doing. And you're so clumsy and loud in the woods. We knew everything you were doing. We had someone on you all the time. We watched you pray. We even saw that time when there was a snake, a poisonous, deadly poisonous snake that was coiled to strike your neck, and we knew you were going to die. And then something, while you're praying, turned away the snake. And we thought, there's something about this man when he comes to us. We need to listen to him. Even in a time of great evil, you can live a holy life. Second timeless takeaway from Nebuchadnezzar's conversion, too. Even when evil men preside, the most high rules. You don't like the results of the election. Don't worry about it. The president's not in charge. Don't get all shy about this. God's in charge. He can put common men in power and take men out of power and proud men and ignorant men and godless men and wicked men have come and gone. God is in control. We still need the message of Daniel today. Amazing rise and fall of kingdoms and the order they come in history was predicted ahead of time in Daniel. Did you know that? That, that, it, that, in, in, that, that in ancient Mesopotamia, Babylon's rule would be followed by the Medo-Persian rule, would be followed by the Grecian rule, would be followed by the Roman rule, and hundreds of years before it happened, God gave Daniel the, the interpretation of the dream that it would happen ahead of time. You might want to read your Bible so you don't get behind things. Imagine how heartening and how hopeful it must have been to realize that God was doing something orderly, even when everything looked like chaos. That's why Christians love the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. That's why Christians love the doctrine of the providence, the teaching, the stories of the providence of God. My life is not out of control. My nation is not out of control. My God is in control in my nation, in my life. 
And I will tether my hopes and my dreams and my loyalty to him because the most high rules. Timeless takeaway number one, even in a time of great evil, you can live an exemplary life. Timeless takeaway number two, even when evil men preside, the most high rules, this in verse 17, 25, 32, 43, 37, it's all over this passage, most high rules. Number three, even when the tree is cut down, the stump can live again. Did you catch that? I love that. Oh, the tree, you're going down, Nebuchadnezzar. That tree's coming down. You're going to be like a beast of the field. You're going to eat grass. You're going to have dew on your back. You're going down. But we're going to leave a stump just in case you repent. Anybody going, hallelujah, there's a stump? Like, this thing isn't over yet. Are any of you with me on this? Do any of you find hope in this? Do any of you see Jesus in this? Like, oh, I've been cut down a few times. But thank God he left a stump. And he can bring me back. I can start over again and over again. Have any of you ever had to start over again? Some of you need to start over again today. God, I'm sorry. I was proud. I was foolish. I'll start over. I'll start over today. Is there life in the stump? Yes, there's life in the stump. Yes, there's hope in the stump that's left over. 26, again, look at it. Verse 26. And as it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from time that you know that heaven rolls. In other words, if you repent, I'll restore you. This is our God. There's a hint of mercy. There's an offer of redemption. There's a new beginning. There's a shaft of light at the end of a very dark tunnel. There, in, in, in a cave of judgment, there's a, there's a hint of mercy. Praise be unto God. Say that. Praise be unto God. That's fun to say. Try it. Praise be unto God. Pretend you're Episcopalian. That's what they say. Praise be unto God. Try that. Say it. Praise be unto God. Say it like you mean it. Praise be unto God. Come on, work with me here. Praise be unto God. It's fun, isn't it? Say that this week a few times. You look at a tree. Praise be unto God. I'm not going to hell. Praise be unto God. It's a liturgy you should, you should recite. We'll do it later. Stay with me. Daniel 4 is a little bit like Titus 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another, eating grass in the field. You know, I get it. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That's the hallelujah part right there. He saved us. Yeah, not be, praise be unto God if you're a picture of pain. Yeah, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, because he left a stump. Man, thank you. Thank you. And uh, washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. Praise be unto God. So where's Jesus in all of this? Well, in chapter one, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say he was the food, the vegetables. When the young men say, you can eat this or you can have that, they say, we'll be sustained by the vegetable. I see a little tiny hint of Jesus. But in chapter 2, he just jumps out. Where is Jesus in chapter 2? The stone that comes out of the mountain and becomes a kingdom, that is Jesus. And that's not a stretch. Jesus is right there. And, who, and where are you? You're in the stone if you're a believer. And in chapter 3, where is Jesus? You know. Yeah, you're, you're with me. He's in the fire. He's in the fire. And where are you? In a fire with, with Jesus. And they say, I'm with Jesus. That'd be a good thing to say, I'm with Jesus. <laughs> and, then, and then in chapter 4, where is Jesus? Yes. Who said that? Move to the head of the class. Yes. You can lead singing here. Yeah. He's in a stump. 
Oh, he's sweetly and beautifully in the stump. And we know Jesus is like the root of Jesse. He's like, the, even like the nation of Israel is cut down. But oh, but oh, there's a, do I see? Oh, there's a stump. You might just feel like your tree got cut down. You got sent out in the field. You got, maybe you even have just mental distress and heartache and humbling and, and your, your pride is crushed. You just need to get a picture of this. This is where Jesus is in this text. And why would this story be included? So that people would be encouraged that God would be in, is in control when leaders are arrogant and proud and ignorant and foolish and when the people wouldn't compromise with evil. He, he gave this message through Daniel to the people so that they would walk in humility. He gives it to us so that we will walk in humility. He gave it to them so that they would know they can walk in the Spirit. We can walk in the Spirit so that they would not give up on hopeless sinners like Nebuchadnezzar. And you got hopeless sinners in your life and you're tempted to wish them dead. We won that Roe versus Wade thing against those wicked people that want to kill babies. Okay. Okay. Was that the objective? That you hand them a legal defeat? Or was it the objective that you would turn them to God and then they would love babies and trust God for the hardships that they're going through and find help among Christians and raise up little ones who love. That, Daniel did not plot to assassinate Nebuchadnezzar. He prayed that Nebuchadnezzar would do what he did, repent and turn to God. And you have enemies, and you're tempted to plot their doom, <laughs> so pray for their conversion. He also, I believe, gave this lesson to them and to us so that we wouldn't give up on wrinkled, spotty saints. Now, are you with me on this? You, you meet Christians, and the Bible says they're the bride of Christ. You're like, they don't look pretty to me. You ever have that happen? You ever meet a Christian who's kind of ugly? No? You ever met a Christian who was a little, you got up on the wrong side of the bed or did something bad to you, hurt somebody you love? Do you ever have a Christian hurt you? Do you ever, you ever have a hypocritical Christian you met? You have somebody who said one thing, but they did another, and they go to church, they know Bible verses. Anybody like this? Do we all know somebody like this? Anybody ever been like that? I mean, not me, but, you know, <laughs> not me. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'm the pastor. Yeah, sometimes I'm that wrinkly, spotty Christian, but he says one day we're going to be without spot and wrinkle. Hang in there. I know. I know Christians sometimes are, do stuff that disappoints you. They've hurt me too. But you know, I think I've hurt other people sometimes too. But one day we're going to be without spot and without wrinkle. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm thinking Nebuchadnezzar's among them. That's, that's my, it's not real super clear, but I think so. Imagine though, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives, the old hymn says. I'm like, that's me. I'm in. Forgive me. So be patient with one another. And, and yeah, people are wrinkly and spotty and they hurt your feelings. Sometimes they're kind of weird and fake. And yeah, pray for them. Be patient with them. I guess I have one more point, don't I? Even at our best, we're beasts without God. 
Now, a human being is a human being, so this is, you have to give me some literary license. But even at our best, we're beasts. Here's, here's like, look what I did. God says, you're just basically livestock. <laughs> you, without me, you, you are, you, you are, you're living beneath your human dignity. That's what he's saying. We can't, we don't have to, to live and die like animals or worse. We can bless and we can forgive and we can restore and we can redeem and, and we can win others to Christ. Hey, listen, read a book by uh, uh, Brian Chappell, and he told a story about an ant that was like a hard nose. Super, you have somebody in your life that's a super hard nose, like rejecting God and really hard nose, doesn't want to pray at the family reunion and just ugly like that. And, and he had one like that, and he was always trying to witness to her, and he never could get to her. And she was always really acerbic, and, and she was always really um, kind of a hard nose. And She died, and then they, they came to him, and they said, so we found this box of books in her. Uh, you know, you're religious. They're religious books. Why don't you take it? And so it smelled really bad like tobacco, and, and he, he said he put it up in the attic so he, he wouldn't smell it. Years later, or months, sometime later, he, he's cleaning the attic. Here's how... Chapel t- told the story. Uh, after the aunt's death, the family gathered at her house to divide her personal belongings in one box on the bookshelf. They discovered religious books, and he was the only religious person. They agreed to give him the box. Uh, smelled like stale tobacco and smoke in a stuffy house. They didn't want to touch it, put it in the attic, forgot it. Later, the friend goes to the attic. He, he sees the box, and he takes it, and he's amazed to discover a very fine devotional guide in another book that it's good theology, and each book is a solid book of Bible study, and, it's mar- and they're marked up. And then thumbing through a commentary on Ephesians, he comes across a handwritten letter pressed between the pages written by his aunt late in life, addressed to God. She wrote the letter as a result of her study of the Word of God, and in the letter she confessed her sins and claimed Jesus Christ as her Savior. And you heard that story about the the person that went to a far country away from God and lived far from God and died and far from God and they did his funeral and then later on they received a letter two or three weeks after the funeral where he had professed to come to follow the Lord. What, what's the point? The point that we should get when we read Nebuchadnezzar's tract is don't give up on the hardest sinner. Don't be discouraged when people that you love are, are far from God. So let's just conclude with a, a benediction. But before the benediction, let's have, a, let's have a liturgy. Can we do that? Would you stand with me? Stand with me. And we'll, and we'll speak a liturgy. We'll do this. We haven't done this much. I'm going to say a truth and then you say, praise be unto God. How would that be? All right. I'm going to say, like, even in a time of great evil, you can live an exemplary life. And you're going to say, Praise be unto God. Even when evil men preside, the most high rules. Praise be unto God. Even when the tree is cut down, the stump can live again. Praise be unto God. Even at our best, we're beasts without God, but God can change the hardest heart. Praise be unto God. Praise be unto God. Remain standing.